0: Over the last three years, we've been hearing terms like anti-vax and vaccine hesitant used as punchlines in jokes and splashed across media headlines constantly. But are these terms actually helpful in communicating the need for vaccines? I'm Tegan Taylor, and this is Occam's Razor, a soapbox for science. Today, we're exploring how language and listening are essential in having meaningful conversations about vaccination. Here's Holly Seal
1: And thank you very much. And I'd like to firstly just acknowledge that I am on Gadigal lands and so pay my respects to elders past and present. And I actually had a recently got a chance to leave Gadigal land and fly overseas where I attended a conference, really where we were focused on discussing what was happening with COVID vaccination. Why were people not getting the COVID vaccine boosters? Um, And obviously the questions naturally turned to people who decline vaccination, full stop. A fellow panellist who was at the conference was very quick to suggest that these people should be thought of as belonging to Area 51. Now, that is the common name of a highly classified United States Air Force facility within the Nevada testing range. Um, And the intense secrecy surrounding this base has really made it the frequent subject of conspiracy theories and the central component of the UFO, folklore. The joke got a few laughs. But in our need to label or categorise people... Is it also hurting our relationships with people in our communities who decline vaccines? And we know that there are about six key reasons why people are not getting these vaccines at the moment. Many of these reasons are around how people think and feel about the vaccines, how they perceive their risk um, to COVID, about the safety of the vaccines, around maybe how they were developed... Uh, They may have uh, some sort of mistrust of systems, of the providers, uh, or they may have spiritual or religious reasons why they decline vaccines. In 2009, the World Health Organization registered vaccine hesitancy in its list of top 10 threats to human health that demand attention. But the framing of hesitancy as a threat to human health were probably well-intentioned to try and drive up funding and government support as she continues this theme that hesitant people are the threat that must be dealt with. Here in Australia, we did really well when it came to the first two doses. When it gets to the third dose, we're sitting at about 31%, so we could do a little bit better. And obviously we've got lots of people who still need to go out and get their fourth dose amongst those who are eligible. But when we think about outright vaccine refusal, this is actually relatively rare. Think about our childhood vaccine programs, thinking about other vaccines we offer to adults. It's actually very, very uncommon to have people who decline to get any vaccine. What we know from the people who do decline vaccination is that they're not anti-vaxxers, as the newspapers may suggest. Most of these people will probably accept a vaccine for either their children uh, or for themselves at one point in their lives. To be vaccine hesitant, it's often to have questions, to feel the need to be satisfied with the information, to feel the need to get that kind of balance between the risks and the benefits, is to potentially resent the use of mandates or vaccine passports as opposed to the vaccine themselves. Widespread vaccination, as we know, began in the late 1800s when the British physician Edward Jenner demonstrated that cowpox could protect against smallpox. Uh, at the time, some 30% of people who got smallpox ended in death. Uh, and The rest of the people who survived had some sort of permanent scarring, loss of lip, nose, ear tissue or blindness. Despite these kind of horrible outcomes, many criticised the use of that vaccine at the time. Fast forward and the popularisation of the internet in the beginning of the 2000s really offered a kind of an opportunity for activists to diffuse their messages even more against vaccination and to get to a wider audience. The interesting thing is that when we actually compare the two time points is that we haven't really seen any change in the arguments that are used against vaccination. These issues obviously are often not scientifically based um, or are based on misinformation and really kind of circle around or centre around vaccines being ineffective, vaccines potentially causing disease, uh, vaccines just being there to make the company's profits, uh, vaccines containing dangerous substances, vaccinations that uh, go against civil rights. And this kind of theory that if you get the disease, it's better for you than actually going and getting the vaccine itself. So what we know about vaccine hesitancy is that it's a really complex situation and that's really context specific. So what we think and feel about one vaccine will be very, very different about how we perceive the need for other vaccines. Uh, And there are lots of different individual factors which will influence how people perceive the need for the vaccines. And that might centre around their perceptions towards the disease or the perceptions towards the vaccine itself. Beyond this, of course, our culture, our society, the people who influence us, all have a role to play when it comes to whether or not we'll accept a vaccine. But we are still using the word hesitancy inappropriately. Sometimes we label people as being vaccine hesitant when really they just can't access a vaccine. And that may be because they just don't have the capacity to get to the vaccine appointment, or they lack the support to be able to integrate into our healthcare systems. Lastly, we have people in our community who do not trust the systems, and that may be because of past experiences. But yet we all frame these people as being vaccine hesitant. But what we can be more conscious of is how we brand people one of the first steps we need to do is get rid of the label anti-vaxxer. There is nothing gained by using this negative term. There will always be people in our communities who decide to not get any vaccines for themselves or their children, and that this may be because of religious or philosophical reasons. These people aren't anti-vaxxers. They're not vaccine hesitant. They simply opt to go for another option. We also know at the other end of the spectrum, there will be those who will be calling their GP even before the vaccine is available to make a time to go and get it. These are the people who are the the advocates of immunisation. I don't really need to spend a lot of time on them because they'll go and get vaccinated. So in the, in the rest of my time, I'm really going to focus on the people in the middle. Those who may have those questions about vaccination or may just need some answers before they receive one. How do we support them? A first and really critical point is that we need to listen to them. We need to have a good understanding of of what is is happening in their space. How do they feel about the disease? How do they feel about the vaccine? And what are the factors that are leading them to be potentially either vaccine hesitant or just under immunised? Increasing people's awareness and understanding of vaccine safety, helping them with decision-making processes, you know, making sure that resources are available to get people to clinics are really critical steps that we need to do. But for some people, this still may not be enough. So importantly, need to focus on conversations. The obvious ones are between people and their healthcare professionals. We know that a recommendation from one of these health professionals is usually the key trigger to going to get someone vaccinated. But from all the research that has been done, we know that there are still people who are out there missing these recommendations or that there's still that bit of mistrust stopping them. So therefore, what we really also need to be focusing on is conversations between those in the broader community. In support of this, I want to give a huge shout out to my PhD student, Joshua Karras, who's been interviewing people who've received the vaccine and who haven't received the vaccine to to kind of find out what conversations are happening um, around immunisation and around uh, misinformation. From one of his interviews with a community member who had received the vaccine, he found out that this person was really happy to have conversations after receiving their vaccine. And really they framed this because they thought that the biggest influence in their space were the people who were closely around them. So if those people were on board, they were then more likely to go out and get the vaccine. I've had the great opportunity to talk to lots of community organisations who support our culturally and linguistically diverse communities here in Australia. And over the last couple of years, I've been hearing about so many initiatives that have been put into play to try and get conversations happening. And this was what was helping to get vaccine coverage up in these communities. We've all got to think about the language that we use. Vaccine-hesitant people can't be the butt of our jokes. We can't continue to use the framing of anti-vaxxers because we want to keep these people engaged with us in some way. We want to keep that door open. So we need to stop just broadcasting information out and rather we need to speak with them, work with these community members and really think about how information then is being transmitted and received. Thank you so much. That was Associate Professor Holly Seal,
0: an infectious disease social scientist at the School of Population Health at the University of New South Wales. She was speaking there at our Occam's Razor live event at the Sydney Powerhouse Museum on Gadigal Land. Yes, Occam's Razor is recorded at live events across Australia, and we've got another one coming up very soon. The show is coming to Adelaide on the 24th of November and I would love to see you there in the audience. Check out the link in the episode description or find it on the Occam's Razor website. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.